podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached. When I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom, I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 449, the Wild Turkey Hunter Survey in South Carolina with Jay Cantrell, and I am your co-host and the guy who is getting the saltwater fishing rod out of the case off the rack and i'm your co-host and the guy who's ready for saturday yeah you get big event coming saturday the first ever event for turkeys for tomorrow in tennessee will be held on saturday and we will be hosting that at hub city brewery at five o'clock in jackson tennessee so if you're anywhere near here come on i know Several out-of-state folks are coming, so you can too if you're anywhere near here. Five o'clock, Saturday, Hub City Brewery in Jackson, Tennessee. That's big-time stuff. And we got a sick pistol we're going to be raffling off. It is it is awesome. One of one. There'll never be another one like it. All right. Well, so make sure that. you do that. Yeah. Where are you going fishing? Well, me and my lovely bride are going to sneak off to the coast for the Gulf Coast for a few days and so i figure 
I'm actually going to take a little bit of time. You know, usually my vacations involve a lot of work. Also, my turkey hunting trips involve a lot of work. And so I'm going to take a little time on this one and try to recharge a little bit coming out of the crazy late winter, all spring, all summer that we had. So looking forward to it. You going to do some like get a drone and do some of that shark fishing off the beach? No, I don't believe I'm going to do any of that, but I will <laughs> I will throw a rod and a lure into the water from the coast, from the shore there. So we'll see how it goes. But, you know, not if I can catch a little bit of something to, to eat, you know, catch a pompano or two, I won't be sad. Heck, so, yeah. That's awesome, yeah. man. Well, I hope you all have a good restful time and enjoy your time at the beach. Put yeah. the computer up for a couple of days, maybe. Well, this is... This is two weeks in a row that we've talked fishing on this show. And so you're right. Yeah. So, and we actually talk a little fishing with our guest this week as well. It was more (laughs) of a joke, but you know, not really. (laughs) Yeah. I wish, I wish more people would do it in the spring, but we have a great guest, great guy on the show today. And, you know, his, I, I, I was just really impressed by his openness in answering a lot of the questions that we asked. And, you know, that, that to me was, was really cool. But we have Jay Kentrell, who is with the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. And he, well, I guess we should say that the department has put together several community meetings, kind of a open mic type thing where they were looking for some input from the citizens of South Carolina, those of us who hunt, and more exactly those of us who turkey hunt, (laughs) and talking about the hot topic of, oh, the past many years for those of us around the country, and that is declining turkey population. And so Jay put together a phenomenal presentation that he gave at those meetings, but they, the state went one step further and put that presentation on YouTube and have also opened up the survey for people to complete the survey online. And, you know, we mentioned this in the talk with Jay, but the fact that the state of South Carolina has put enough emphasis on wanting the input from those of us who buy hunting licenses is impressive and they should no it's awesome it's just it's just awesome in my opinion i I really wish every state would have these meetings like they did i mean public meetings where you can actually show up in person and give your opinion if you have one yeah and so you know just taking it that extra step and saying okay well we did our meetings we heard from these 300 people yeah Okay, well, that's 300 people. And the chances of those 300 living within a 30-minute drive of where that meeting was held are really good. (laughs) What about the rest of the state? Yeah, now we're going to have a survey. Yeah, and let's put that survey online. And so, you know, hats off to South Carolina for for doing that. And, you know, really it's going to give them the ammunition that they need to be able to go to the state legislature and present their case for whatever changes the people who 
complete that survey and the state recommend. Yeah. And going from there. And so they're definitely crossing their T's and dotting their I's on A, getting the science, B, getting the hunter satisfaction. And that's a good combo to take to the the legislation. Yes, absolutely. Who who may at that point ignore all of it and do whatever they want to do. And and they can. They certainly can. And I think they have in the past. Yeah, several states have done that. Yeah. But Jay did mention, you know, he said, hey, we didn't have the input from the public when we went to the legislature. What was it been five years ago? 2018, yeah, I, I think, think was the year. Said. Yeah. And, and so for them to have that input from the public is going to go a long way. Or, no, we can't say that because it's still dealing with the government. It should go a long way in dealing with the legislators. And so... You know, I, I think it's a great step in the right direction, and hopefully they'll get something done or some things done, some changes made, and you know, get moving in the right direction. But what do you think? You want to? Yeah. Me and you ramble on about it, or let the expert share his knowledge? I think knowledge? we got. I think we got over an hour of the expert talking, so why don't we hop in there? But before we do, we're gonna hop in here with Jay. But I do want to make an announcement on the intro that turkeys for tomorrow has launched new chapters around the country so our chapters here in jackson tennessee that's in west tennessee there's also now a middle tennessee chapter around murfreesboro there has been a chapter launched in west virginia there's been a chapter launched in pennsylvania the allegheny chapter with our friend andrew mills who you and i both hunted with that's around ramey pennsylvania And then another chapter in Pennsylvania, the Appalachian chapter, and that's going to be around Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And so all of those chapters, I believe, have social media accounts now. But if you're around those areas I just mentioned, hop in, join in with that chapter and do whatever they're doing and help support them. I just want to let you all know those are springing up everywhere right now. So be on the lookout for one in your area. Yes, indeed. And let's hop in there and talk to Jay. We'll see you guys on the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's been very well received. Um, you know, we, it, of course, it's a, it's a little different, obviously, recording it for for YouTube versus giving that as a live presentation to an audience. But uh, yeah, but when we did the the meetings, it, it went over really well. We've gotten a lot of very good feedback and uh, and from the video as well. But uh, so tell yeah. me. With the meetings, how did that come about? I thought that was awesome that y'all had public meetings all around the state where turkey hunters could come and what voice their opinion as well as watch that presentation. Yeah, so well, I, I, you know, kind of two parts there. What what the meetings involved was um, it was about a two hour window, and and we started out with just kind of a little introduction of you know how we got to this point, and um, which I'll get to that in a minute, and then. Yeah, we gave, I gave the presentation and then we, as soon as the presentation was over, we just opened the floor up to them for, you know, comments, questions. And, and we told them we would just wanted to hear from them on what they're seeing um, and then what they think would be good, you know, options moving forward. What, what can we do? You know, what can we change? Um, so we didn't want to, I mean, we wanted to give them the data in the presentation but then we didn't want to bias you know hunter opinions on what they thought would be good changes to make 
And so we opened it up and let them do that. And, 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 you know, and then there was, there was a lot of discussion and question and answer. And then we kind of wrapped it back up and, and laid out some, some possibilities, which I think we're in what you saw in the video of, you know, later season, start date, shorter seasons, lower bag limit, et cetera. And then had a little bit more discussion. And then we kind of closed it up with a, a little one page survey uh, on the way out the door. And, um, and it was, it was amazing to us how, you know, one, the participation we got, we had about 300 people total at the five meetings. And then, um, just the engagement, you know, the, the comments, the questions, the, the concern. And, um, and, and it was, so that, it was great. But how we got to that point was, you know, like a lot of states and particularly in the deep South, you know, we've had this long-term decline in turkey numbers, harvest numbers, reproduction. And we've been talking about it as biologists and agency folks for probably the past decade, but it's really kind of hit critical mass in the last two or three years. And, you know, we've started hearing about it more from, from hunters and, and we'd made, you know, we, we'd had a couple legislative changes over the last eight years or so. And in 2018, we had a report to the legislature about all this and proposed some changes, and they made a few, but not really all the way. But really, I'd say since probably since 2020, we've just been hearing more and more from hunters. And I think it's for two reasons. One, the the decline has really started to show up on the landscape. You know, what we had mm-hmm. seen for a decade on paper and data finally hit the point where people were noticing it, you know, in their hunts and on the ground. And so it was just, there'd been a lot of chatter and it had elevated to the point back in spring where they were not only, you know, hunters were not only coming to, to us, to DNR, but to legislators. And, you know, in South Carolina, we're, you know, some states have a wildlife commission, but we're, we're pretty much answer to the legislature. You know, our, our mm-hmm. agency can make recommendations, but the legislature makes actual changes. And so, yeah. We started getting some calls from legislators and had some conversations with some of them. And the idea came up in a, in a, in a meeting with one of them. Well, you know, why don't we do some public meetings? Why don't we get some public input? Because, you know, I think there was a lot of angst in making changes just based on a few comments and then what our data said. And they, they, you know, I think they felt more comfortable getting input and we did too. And so, yeah, we just rolled it out. We, you know, we picked, five sites that we thought we'd get good representation and promoted it and and just went out and we were you know we didn't really know what to expect but we were pleasantly surprised at the the turnout and participation and the feedback you know that was it was you know a lot of people were really on the same page with saying we've got a problem and and we need to do something and and that's kind of where we were when we went into it you know we felt like from feedback and input we were getting from hunters that there was you know, good agreement that, that there's a problem and we need to do something. There just wasn't good agreement on what that something was. And that's where we wanted to get together with people and, and have these discussions and say, all right, what would y'all be comfortable changing? You know, cause something has to give, you know, where can we, where can we go? And, um, so no, it was, it was great. And I, you know, I think other States could, could kind of learn from that. I mean, I think wildlife agencies sometimes try to you know, avoid public meetings because they're usually just, you know, a place to go get trashed and hear all the complaints. But this was, yeah. <laughs> um, this was actually very productive and positive. Were there uh, any 
I mean, like many at all landowners or hunters who would, who are like, I don't know, you know, I have more turkeys now than ever. You know, was anybody on the opposite side of that thought? There was a few. It was a small percentage. You know, we heard more of that um, four years ago, five, four or five years ago, when we, the last time we kind of had some of these discussions. We didn't mm-hmm. do public meetings then, but we had some, you know, a, a bill in the legislature. And, and yeah, we heard a lot of that then of y'all are crazy that we don't have a problem. We got plenty of turkeys. Mm-hmm. I think that tune has changed in the last few years, and and we heard a little bit of that, but it was a very small, you know, percentage of folks, and um, and it really showed up, you know, in the the surveys we did. I mean, you know, just the comments we were getting that, but then, you know, when we did these surveys at the end of the public meetings, you know, there was eighty percent of the people said that they thought the population was declining. You know, about. 14 15 percent said maybe a steady i mean there was only you know five or six percent that that thought they had increasing birds and and about 95 percent of the people agreed that there needed to be some kind of legislative or regulatory changes um so it was you know the the people who said yeah we don't have a problem were are in a small minority and and, and i agree there's some places i mean we don't think this is a completely uniform homogenous Issue. Right. There's obviously some properties that are good habitat, that are well managed, that do a good job of regulating their harvest, that are doing great. I mean, that's that's the reality on the ground. Is there are places where turkeys are doing fine, but those places are not the norm. You know, those are the exception, not the rule. And um, and so it, you know, you hate it for those people. Um, you know, if you're talking about doing things that are going to be somewhat restrictive or, or changing things for them um but but yeah that's a that's gotten to be a pretty minute part of the population jay do you i'm sure you do have pretty good records uh, of an estimated population on the savannah riverside over that same period of 20 years and is the population there declining as well um we don't have as far as like population estimates on that place um i mean we've got you know, some things that might kind of look at the county or, or region. But talking to, you know, people on the ground, biologists that work there, um, they, they've they seen some declines, but it doesn't seem to be at the same rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, what we're getting from the data on that research project that's going on there, we're in, we've had three years now of a five-year project. Yeah. And, and all the data that we're collecting there points to a, a growing population. Um, and you talk to people over there that work over there and are on that property. I mean, it, you know, it's a, for folks that don't know, you know, that's a, a federal facility that's very, you know, it's, it's very limited as far as access because it's Department of Energy property. Um, but but the people who do work there and go on there, I mean, you know, they say, look, there's, there's plenty of birds on this place. Um, so, I mean, I think there's probably some things that are affecting turkeys everywhere, you know, from a habitat, weather, predation standpoint. Um, but there's definitely something different, you know, there with, with the lack of hunting and, and that's showing up in the data. And, um, and, and yeah, I think there's, there's more birds there than, than, not, than, than off the site. But I do think, you know, just like everywhere else, they have experienced uh, some level of decline. Yeah. So it's... it's- relatively safe to say then that hunting to some 
degree and it and it could be we're taking too many toms too early in the season could be we're taking too many toms period yeah. it could be hunter disturbing disturbance of nests and the incubation going on there during hunting season i mean there it could be an, an onslaught of things but still just in a general i guess a general statement it's safe to say that hunting is disrupting turkey populations yeah that's what i mean exactly and and you hit on all the the things that i think it is not one thing i think it's it's all those factors you just laid out um that but yeah i mean there's when you look at the data it's hard to to see anything other than the fact that there is some impact from hunting that's not to say that there's not you know other things going on and and we're very yeah open to that and we discuss that in these meetings and we discuss it all the time that there's you know habitat issues and predation issues and weather that we can't control and possibly maybe something in the background with some disease issues that are you know not really killing birds but lowering their fitness or immunity or something but but yeah i mean it's hard to to argue with the data and and say that there's not a hunting you know a harvest impact you know when you look at and and if y'all watch that presentation you know you saw that the slide where you know savannah river site versus the the other hunted sites um you know where every level of where you would measure reproductive success you know nest initiation hatch success and, and brood rearing success it it's better at, at srs than in the hunted sites you know there's more birds that initiate a nest which is kind of a no-brainer if you start thinking about it you know if if you aren't interrupting breeding then you're going to get more hens that actually breed and, and initiate a nest but then those next levels of you know success in hatching and success in raising broods are much higher there as well and you know and if if you kind of plug in some theoretical numbers in both scenario the hunted and unhunted you end up producing about three times more poults at, at srs and so and is the and, habitat and kind of, like identical i mean would you say pretty much almost it, identical between that and the adjacent wma it's it's representative yeah i mean yeah it's um yeah there, there's not a huge habitat different you know there and, and other sites i mean it's um kind of industrial forest like you know i mean it it's not it's, it's good habitat, but it's not great habitat. You know, they might get a little more fire maybe than some places, but it's, you know, it, it's fairly representative. And when yeah. we started talking about this project years ago, it was like, you know, we needed to find a, because this was the whole idea was to, to try to tease out, is there a hunting effect? And we had to find a large property that was not hunted and there's not a lot of those. And um, so, yeah, I mean, habitat wise, I think you're, you're dealing with, a lot of the same issues predation wise you're dealing with a lot of the same issues um and and you know obviously you can't say well all right this is what we need to do because you have to introduce hunting into the to the equation at some point but if you know the idea is to try to find the sweet spot of hunting to where you're you're probably somewhere between the hunted sites and savannah riverside or, or maybe closer to the to srs numbers um but a lot of it gets down to when you look at that and then you look at the research across the southeast um, in general with nest success and the timing of the, you know nest success and and what it's really looking like with with SRS and these other sites is that there, there's that critical period in there you know leading up to and right around nest initiation when the bulk of the breeding 
is occurring and you've got you know your your dominant toms and your dominant hens and that's kind of what has come out of some of this research too is hens have a pecking order and a social hierarchy just like gobblers and you're getting those dominant hens who are probably older or more experienced in better shape breeding with the choice gobblers and 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 what's interesting too at savannah riverside is that breeding season the timing of of, of nesting which corresponds with breeding is earlier and more compact than in hunted sites so wow. they're getting it done quick and you know early and quick and it's not getting strung out over time and so you get that what we call you know predator swamping because nester all on the ground at the same time poultry hitting the ground at the same time and so i think that's what's leading to a lot of the better hatching success and, and brood success is because two things one they're 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 very um concentrated or you know kind of hitting hitting around the same time and two it's early and and obviously earlier is better for conditions for for brood rearing with vegetation and insects and whatnot so it's yeah i mean all the data points to the fact that that the fact that we're in there killing birds disturbing birds in that critical period you know leading up to nest initiation and incubation is is having an impact and it is mostly having an impact because it stretches out breeding season which causes problems you know because you you don't get predator swamping and you're getting poults born or hatched later when conditions aren't as good and you're you're not syncing up your your best hens with your best gobblers and and all the research looks like you know you've got these dominant gobblers that are producing most of the poults that survive and these dominant hens that are doing that so i think what it comes down to is you got to protect that that critical period you know from late when in our case where we are from late march up until you know april 10th 8th 9th 10th or so um when most of the successful breeding is occurring so and will there be any attempts to like recreate this scenario anywhere but the savannah river site i don't know that's a good question um i don't know that there's a lot of other large Options. unhunted sites <laughs> yeah um, you know, another option would be to introduce hunting via two podcast hosts to the Savannah <laughs> River site. It, it, it's funny you mentioned that. That's been kind of tossed around as the next step in this this research is, you know, once we get we got two more field seasons, you know, in, in where we're at. And then that we have talked about that internally is then, all right, let's introduce hunting in a very controlled regulated manner and, and see what happens at different levels of removal and different timing of removal um so i think that's yeah kind of the i mean you joke but it's kind of the next logical step in in the science is to yeah to go from well, the two you, extremes you know from you hunting a, and, and unhunting. would you have like a quota hunt on that to where I, I don't know. We hadn't really gotten down in the weeds yet on yeah, how that you got two years, so <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but that that's been discussed. I mean, obviously access to that place is, is kinda tricky with it being a, a Department of Energy site, but but that that's kinda in, in some of the talk is, you know, what's what's in between the extreme of unhunted and hunted, you know, and, and could we yeah, introduce some level of harvest to and, and see what you know kind of tease out some effects but um but yeah it's it's 
it's been very interesting eye opening research to um to see, you know, because we felt like there was something there, but we had to we had to go and do it and see. And in yeah. three years, you know, obviously there's nothing published yet. You know, we'll wait until the study's done. But we felt good enough with three years of data that was all lining up very consistently. You know, every year looked about the same. And so after three years, we finally felt good about saying, all right, we can start talking about this. And that's kind of, it goes back to your question about these meetings and, you know, where we were as an agency um, was, you know, if there hadn't, if this talk and chatter and concern hadn't ramped up to this certain level, we were going to wait until this project finished in two years, you know, and then have a completed project at SRS and more harvest data and more reproductive data and, and then say, all right, we need to do something. But it, it really the the public input and sentiment and concern and the concern from the legislature we we couldn't wait to you you know we had to say all right there's enough concern and and angst that we need to go ahead and and look at things now that's pretty impressive you know just from someone on the outside looking in you know that that you guys and the state as well have i guess the term I should use is value the resource enough and the opinion from the public enough to go ahead and and push that forward. Because, you know, I I think a lot of government entities would say, yeah, we've got two more years left and, you know, let's let's ride it out and see what happens. And then that way we've got all of the facts and we can present everything in one nice, neat, tidy package and go from there but yeah. you know yeah i, I mean I, that yeah i appreciate that i mean that was you know because that's a possibility but like i said we we wanted to respond and that's part of wildlife management you know you're not just looking at the science and, and the data you're you're taking into you know from particularly from a an agency standpoint you have to you know look at what the public and what the hunters are, are saying and wanting and it was you know it was something we didn't want to brush people off and, and push them aside you know i think there was uh, uh, you know, we we gauged that there was enough concern that something needed to happen, and um, so we'll see. And again, you know, we all we do is make recommendations. It comes down mm-hmm. to the to the legislature, but it it seems like there's enough interest, and in, and I think you know, and that's shown in these these meetings and and the surveys. And you know, right now we've got the the video version of the presentation out there. We've got an online survey out there. I've taken a couple peeks at that, and. And it looks similar, It, you know, it, as you would probably expect, people who didn't come to the meetings, um, there's a, a slightly lower level of support for, for making change, but it's still pretty strong that, yeah, something needs to happen and we need to make some changes. And um, and it's been really surprising to us, the amount of support for shifting the season dates later. That's been, you know... We we thought from talking to hunters that lowering the bag limit from three to two would be pretty acceptable, and, and that makes sense because very few hunters kill the third bird here in South. It's a small percentage, and you know, and there was support for limiting jay harvest to just youth, and that is not real surprising because most people have that restraint. And you know, some of the things that are kind of low hanging fruit, um, but the amount of support for shifting the season has been pleasantly surprising. And I think it's, you know, the data that we put out in the presentation, plus a lot of what 
has come out in the science in the last two or three years that, you know, has been on social media and podcasts and, you know, things with Dr. Chamberlain and Dr. Collier. And, and I think a lot of hunters have finally kind of tuned in and said, all right, yeah, we've got a problem. We're not seeing as many birds. We're not killing as many birds. What's going on? And then looking at states where their hunting seasons are more in line with, um, you know, the beginning of nest initiation and those states are having better success. And and I think it's just kind of been a, a wake up call for people that, you know, but it but it took people having a, a noticeable noticeable problem. You know, it took hunters to get to the point of saying, I'm not hearing the birds, I'm not seeing the birds, we're not killing the birds, something is wrong, we need to do something and they start educating themselves and looking around at, at what's out there. You know, and I think as as you all know this as well as anybody, you know, hunters are hungry, turkey hunters are hungry for, for information mm-hmm. and and looking for you know, to podcast and look into social media and look into the internet. And, um, and, you know, that, that's what they're, they're seeing, you know, and it's not just that. I mean, like I said, there's other, other things out there, but, but to us with the data and, and we tell people all the time, you know, from a statewide level and agency level, legislative level, there's not many knobs on the control panel. You know, we can control seasons right. and bag limits and methods of harvest. Um, knowing that habitat and predation and other things are, are working on these populations as well, but we have limited ability to control it. Um, but, but, you know, that's been a discussion too. And and we've talked about that and said that, you know, in these meetings that came up and, and we feel like there's probably more as an agency that we can do, you know, as far as outreach and education and information on habitat management, you know, so, you know, but social media, digital media, and workshops or seminars um, on that and, and trapping. But we've, there's also been some discussion about, you know, what could we do as far as increasing fees on turkey tags or, or some other method to, to generate revenue and then have some kind of habitat incentive program for landowners. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously that's a big part of it too. I mean, we, we, we all know that habitat is is key to this and and improving habitat will help tremendously but you can't legislate or regulate people to to manage their habitat a certain way so you have to incentivize and um and so that's been a part of this discussion as well you know we're not 100 percent focused on seasons and bag limits and timing you know we're also thinking about what can we do to to improve habitat but you know that's a that's kind of a long-term project and goal there um and I think people want to see something that that can get a little quicker results. And I think that's where some of the you know tweaking season dates or or, or bag limit season opportunity would help. Yeah. Um, you. So for those listening to the show who haven't seen the presentation that Jay did, it's it's on YouTube, and of course we're going to include a link to that in the in the show notes. But there at the end of the presentation there are seven possible legislative regulatory solutions to mm-hmm. address the the issue of declining populations. And I'm just going to read these off very quickly for the listeners. Later turkey season start date, shorter season length, bag limit reduction, limit or eliminate afternoon hunting, limit jake harvest to youth only, prohibit the use of strutter decoys and or fanning and reaping, raise the fee for turkey tags and use for habitat improvement. And so 
of those. Well, and there's also one more and it says others question mark, question mark. And I want to get to that in, in just a second. But of those seven, I'm looking at them and I'm saying in the real world, four of those seven possible solutions involve limiting hunters opportunities mm-hmm. or hunting opportunities with season dates or bag limit adjustments. And given the fact that it appears that hunting is a large part of the reason for the decline in population, do you personally see the only real way to turn the decline in South Carolina around involving limiting hunters opportunities? And and look, before before you go any further, um, I know what your position is as far as I know what your job is and what your yeah. livelihood is. And I don't want you to do anything that you think would ever come back or say anything that you think would ever come back to haunt you. So don't yeah. think I'm trying to, to hang you up, you know, put you on no, the spot I, so you can decline. I appreciate that. Yeah. I know it's not a, a gotcha. And, and I'm, I don't mind answering because, you know, we talked about this in, in our public meetings and I talk to people all the time about it. Um, but to answer your question, yes, I think particularly in the short term, we're going to have to do something that that limits well that limits harvest and the best way to, to do that is yeah. honestly to limit opportunity you know the, the first yeah. one of those things on that list is probably the most important you know the, a later start date you know you can do that without impacting opportunity you know that mm-hmm. that doesn't have anything to do with season length or bag limits or, or anything like that that's just simply shifting the season to to a later date and um so i think you know that is the first thing on the table because that by all the data will help with, with productivity will help reproduction. But yeah, I tell people we got to do that for the long term. but in the short term where we are with our reproduction, you know, our, our brood surveys, our summer surveys, you know, we've been 20 years now of levels for the most part that are, that are too low. And particularly the last decade for where our, our hen, you know, our poult production and hens that have no poults is is so low that we're not producing enough birds to replace what we're taking out via harvest and what's coming out from non-hunting mortality. So mm-hmm. we're in a shrinking population mode because we're not producing enough birds. So until we get reproduction ramped back up, which won't be an overnight deal, you know, I think that's going to be incremental. Um, so in the short term, we need to reduce harvest and, you know, hopefully carry over some more birds and, and get that to where we're not. So at least we're breaking even on what we're producing is matching what we're taking out. And and bag limit, as I mentioned, is most palatable um, because very few people limit out. Um, and But it's probably the least impactful what we've seen from our data and and it you know this isn't unique to turkeys is opportunity drives harvest you know we've seen with season changes when we've increased opportunity even in the face of decreased reproduction that harvest um you know days of hunting in the season is really what drives overall harvest so you know we could probably leave bag limit alone and shorten the season and and decrease harvest um and and so that's kind of where we're at at least in the short term you know we we mentioned some of these other things because they come up in discussion the reason afternoon hunting comes into play is through all of our surveys you know 22 24 percent of our harvest is in the afternoon so 
that's a way if people were, you know, open to that, that you could keep the same season length, the same number of days, but you could significantly lower your harvest by cutting out afternoons. And that's not a, a unique you know, idea. There's numerous states that cut off hunting at noon or one o'clock, particularly the first 10 days or first half of the season. Yeah. But I'll say that from our you know, feedback we've gotten from hunters and surveys, that is probably the least popular thing that we've huh. laid out. Um, Maybe so people working night shift or whose jobs, I, you know, I don't know where to get out. Kids getting it, out of you know, school. People that want to take kids after school and people that just yeah. like to hunt in the afternoons. But that has been the, which is kind of strange, like I said, because there's some states where that's just normal and people don't think anything about it. But that's been the so far the least popular option that we've laid out. Um, but yeah, I mean, all all the, and, and I don't think we need to do all those things. That's why there was some choices there to see what was most palatable to people. Um, but, you know, so limiting Jake's. So bag limit reduction, could you, do y'all know what the ranking was of that, of the uh, most liked versus disliked on that list? Well, the most liked was um, was later start date, and then... This um, is by the public. Yeah, this is at the meetings. Now, we're still, you know, the online thing is still working, so we'll kind of yeah. see once it's all said and done. But just from the meetings, um, uh, later start date was the most popular, then limiting jake harvest to use was next then bag limit reduction uh then shorter season and limiting strutters or something along that line and then the afternoon hunting was the last um, uh, you mean uh, people would rather have their season be shortened than give up strutter decoys <laughs> yeah it wasn't a big difference there that was those were pretty close the, the season shortening and, and strutters was pretty close that makes um, me just want to shake some people. Like, yeah. what are you thinking? Seriously? I'd, I'd rather not hunt for two weeks than to not be able to take my strutter decoy. Yeah. Um, but the strutter thing's interesting. You know, that, um, and y'all probably saw it in the survey, I mean, in the presentation, but people who haven't watched it, you know, obviously, and, and this is no big surprise to people, you know, that's been a big topic of conversation for turkey hunters for the last two or three years or, or longer. But, but really in the last couple of years. And so we were hearing a lot about that. You know, we'd talk to hunters and they're like, well, you know, the way we fix this problem is you just got to ban, you know, strutter decoys or male decoys or, or something like that. And so on, we do a postseason hunter survey every year to get, you know, hunter participation and effort and, and, and a lot of things. And so we always throw a question on there every year. That's something, you know, there's a lot of the standard questions that are repeated every year, but we always put, one question on there that's some kind of current topic of interest and so in 2022 we asked people you know do you hunt with a, a male you know strutter decoy full partial fan decoy and 23 percent of our hunters said they did and and then we said um well then we looked at the other portions of the survey which you know told us about hunters you know you know how successful were they how many birds they kill what kind of hunter effort you know how long did it take them to kill a bird and the metrics are the same, you know, so hunters that used a strutter decoy versus hunters that did not had, you know, killed the same number of birds, had the same success, same amount of effort. And so at first blush, that looks like they're a non-issue, you know, that, that they don't, 
you know, they, they help as much as they hurt because people who use them and people who don't use them essentially are just as successful. But then you talk to some people and, and, and you say, well, you could take a deeper look at that. And maybe it's that hunters that are using strutter decoys um, are, are inherently less experienced or less skilled and the decoys are kind of propping them up and allowing them to be as successful as hunters that that's really kind of unsolvable science <laughs> yeah but um yeah but that's kind of unsolvable science you know i don't know how you, you really tease that out because you can't set up an experiment and, and run two hunts that are identical in every way except you're using yeah. a strutter in one and, and not in the other but but anecdotally we know that birds respond to them and there's a lot of hunters who have strong feelings about it so that's why we included that you know again we're responding to input that we're getting you know i don't think that that is going to move the needle a lot um it you know banning them would probably reduce harvest a little bit um because i think we all know that there's birds that that respond to those that don't respond to anything else and and so we probably would would decrease harvest a little usually hand up dominant turkeys yeah yeah so, but that, that, you know, that's something that's out there. And so that's why, you know, we want to. And y'all again, already ban, y'all ban reaping on public land from a safety standpoint, correct? That's correct. That's well, correct. I mean, we yeah. And I honestly think that should be nationwide at this point. Cause that just from solely safety standpoint. From a safety standpoint. Right. And that's, and that came up a lot during our meetings and input. And I think that there'd be strong support to ban it statewide now. Um, and, and we don't have. And I don't think it's unique to where, you know, in the Southeast, I don't think it's near as popular or effective as it is in, in the Midwest and the West. Yeah. Um, Kansas, Nebraska and the Plains. Right. You know, I mean, obviously that's a, a very effective tactic out there. So we don't see as much of it here. Uh, but the, the, you know, there's not a lot of people that do it. And then the ones who don't feel strongly that it, it should be banned and, so yeah, and then like and like you say, purely from a safety standpoint, you know, ignore the ethics and opinions on you know what's fair techniques, but just just from a safety standpoint. But um, so I don't know. We'll we'll see what how everything shakes out, and we'll have a final yeah. report. You know, we're, we're running the the online survey until the end of August. Um, we'll have you know our public meeting survey data, the online survey data, and and we'll compile it. And, and, and I think that'll be good, you know, for us and, and for the legislature, you know, not to just be guessing or, or relying on the input of a handful of people on what people would like to see. We'll have some, some good quantitative public data, you know, public opinion data. And, um, and I think that, that was, you know, a hundred percent lacking, uh, in 2018 when we made a report. Uh, to the legislature and, and made some recommendations you know it was solely based on um you know reproductive data harvest data and, and a research project we had done a research project prior to the savannah river site project in south carolina in a place called the web center uh but that was a hunted site but you know that's where we had kind of come up with what our average nest initiation date was and you know what nest success and brood success looked like and and you know, based on that and some other research projects, we came up with some recommendations at that point um, for a later start date. Um, but we didn't we didn't get there. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Outside of South Carolina, do y'all look at like what's going on with other states 
you know, for instance, I'm in Tennessee and, and we have just done a two week delay on our season opener. Yeah. Like, will y'all be paying attention to that type data of like, let's see how their Polk recruitment does now that they're starting two weeks later. Yeah. We, I mean, obviously we look at other States and we, you know, we collaborate and, and, and talk with, with the Turkey biologists from around the Southeast. You know, we've got a, a Southeast wild Turkey working group with all the biologists. Yeah. And so, you know, we share a lot of information and data and, and converse with folks in other States. So yeah, we're definitely looking at what other states are doing, um, you know, you know, Tennessee's made some changes, Arkansas's made some changes, uh, Alabama and Mississippi, Georgia a little bit, you know. Um, so, I, you know, that that kind of comes into play too. Um, and 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 the one thing we've done already is look, at, you know, across the southeast at what you know what states are doing currently with their, you know, how what's the average season length, what's the average bag limit what's the average start date compared to, you know, estimated nest initiation date. Mm. And, you know, so we're already kind of gathered, we've already gathered some data as far as just being able to compare, you know, regulations and seasons across there. But yeah, we're, we're looking at at those things too, um, to see what's happening. Um, And, and I think that's something that's, you you know, that's working too, is that the, you know, five years ago, when we tried to make some changes, we were kind of the point of the spear and yeah. no, nobody had really done anything. And, and so there was a lot of pushback, but since then, you know, several States have, have made some changes. And so I think it's gotten to be more acceptable and, 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 you know, kind of like you mentioned earlier, you know, these hunters that, that said, y'all are crazy. We, we don't have a problem. You know, we heard a lot of that then, but we don't hear as much of that now. Cause I think people have, seen that oh okay yeah this really is a an yeah. issue and we've you know we've tried to tell people look this is not unique to south carolina this is across the southeast and i think it's finally kind of uh, soaked in that yeah other other people are, are doing things so yeah i mean 100 percent we'll look at at other states um i think the question on some of those will be those like how big a change did they make and was it enough to to initiate yeah. a chain um, because like we, what we did five years ago, it was, it was small and incremental and it probably wasn't enough to, it, well, it definitely wasn't enough to see a change. And so I think that's kind of what you have to look at with these things is, are people making, you know, significant enough adjustments to where you would expect to, to see some, some response. Yeah. Um, I feel like Tennessee, I mean, should be a good case study with, you know, our bag limit's gone from four to two, so we cut mm-hmm. that in half. They have a one jake restriction, so restricted jakes a little bit, and then a two-week season delay. So, I mean, they've kind of yeah. done three different and and restricted reaping on public land, you know. So, they, yeah. I mean, they've made a lot of changes here. So, one would yeah, assume, think- based on, you know, the studies and stuff, that that would increase our pulp production. So, if that does not... That's going to be very concerning, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Now we're going to have to look, and I think you know it. It might be incremental. Um, you know, Arkansas made some some pretty significant changes. I think three years ago, and yeah. they've seen incremental positive changes every year. Um, yeah. So if you want to you know, go I hunt think, there, it's it's going to be expensive this next spring. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's, um, that's like four hundred something dollars. Yeah. 
but you know, I think the other thing too is to look at. I mean, obviously look at states that have made recent changes, but look at states who are more in line with where we want to be and how they're doing. And, and you know, to me, in the southeast, that's North Carolina and Kentucky. Um, mm. You know, yeah. their their start date lines up right along with their nest initiation date, and they have you know, I think Kentucky's winning three days north carolina's 28 day season something like that yeah sure. bird bag you know and they've had that historically and they are weathering the storm so to speak you know their harvest are are stable or increasing and um so you know to me it's kind of one of these things yeah and the further north you go the better things get because i think and we've gotten that question a lot it's like who's doing it right so well start moving north and and seasons are more in line biologically with where they should be. And seasons are typically a little shorter and, and bag limits are a little lower. And, um, you know, the, the deep South, you know, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi has really, you know, historically now had long seasons, liberal bag limits and early start dates. And that's where the, the biggest declines and biggest problems have shown up. So, yeah, true. um, you know, we tell people it's like, look, what we've been doing is not working. Um, <laughs> that that's pretty obvious, you know. And so, um, we, we've got to make some changes, and um, because you know, it's not like we're pushing the panic button and saying we're running out of turkey. I mean, there's still turkeys out there, but it's there's been an, enough of a decline to where it's noticeable, and we're not on a sustainable trajectory. You know, we can't keep doing what we're doing. Um, or it's going to be catastrophic. And, you know, I give the analogy of we're, we're going down the road and we've kind of hit the rumple strips and, and, and we need to correct and get back in the lane. Uh, we don't want to roll over and end up upside down the dick. You know, we, we need yeah. to make some corrections and, and get things back on track before it gets to be a, a, a catastrophic problem where you have to start talking about season closures and, and or really drastic cuts in, opportunity you know we want you know we're turkey hunters too you know i'm a turkey hunter we want we want as much opportunity as possible and we want as many birds out there as possible you know we want to see populations go up and harvest levels go up you know that's this isn't about how can we you know beat up on the hunters and and, you know decrease opportunity just for the sake of decreasing opportunity you know this there's an end game there of what can we do now so we have better hunting and, and more opportunities in the future. And I think people have finally kind of, you know, grasped that and, and bought in to say, you know, this isn't a, we're, it's not us against them. You know, we're not trying to beat up on hunters. We, we want there to be better turkey hunting in the future. So, and, and that resonates, you know, there's a lot of people that say, you know, I want to have, I want my kids and my grandkids to be able to do so. Oh yeah, definitely. How, how much do you think that, and especially lately over the past, Oh, say five to eight years. Do you think regulation chasing has come into play between these states? Because let's let's take Georgia and Alabama, for example, and then we can throw Mississippi into the into yeah. the mix as well. Alabama moves this turkey season back to correspond the start date to course not only, not just to correspond with Georgia, don't get me wrong, but it, it ends up corresponding with Georgia's start date. All of a sudden, Georgia pushes theirs back, and then Alabama pushes back a little bit more. And 
it just seems to be kind of a, a jockeying and, you know, yes, I'm, uh, I would hope the science comes into play way more than, than the politics of, you know, Hey, we want to keep the neighboring state hunters out of the state, but we know that does come into play as well. But, you know, it just, it looks on the surface like, well, we've pushed our season back. Now it corresponds with Georgia Mississippi's still ahead of us, so we're still sending all of our turkey hunters across the state line to hunt in Mississippi. And, you know, it this this whole it seems to have gotten a lot more complicated for states now with all of the traveling to turkey hunt. And, yeah. you know, you you is probably in my thoughts gonna end up to where every state in the country has the same bag limit almost the same start date within a week or 10 days of each other and very similar regulations from top to bottom because, you know, you limit my opportunities in Alabama and I'm going to Mississippi, I'm going to Florida, I'm going to Georgia and I'm going to Tennessee because I can do it easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's some of that there and I I think you hit on it, you know, it it starts with the science and, and states trying to get better aligned with biologically where seasons should be because you know over the years there's been more pressure to start early and early and early and and when turkeys were doing fine that was okay you know um but so i think the science is driving it but no you're 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 right that there's there is some kind of what's the neighboring state doing or nearby state doing because if you're way early you're you're sticking out like a sore thumb you know and mississippi is kind of that prime example right now mm-hmm. um yeah. and and we've seen what they've had to do with putting limitations on non-residents um and and so i think it's one of those things that the science is driving it but the public and commission or legislative support really responds to that non-resident um effect and, and and y'all probably know this as, as well as anybody. I think every hunter knows this, and I think every state is like this. But um, a lot of hunters and, in our case, legislators uh, kind of don't have a, a positive view of non-resident. Um, you know, and 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 it's kind of unfortunate. I mean, we see it from an agency standpoint to where there's there's positives. You know, non-residents bring a lot of revenue, um, license tag revenue, and economic benefits to the state and but but you know resident hunters and resident commission commissioners or legislators you know don't like to see a lot of non-residents come in and mm-hmm. so it it resonates with those like for our in our case you know when we analyze our harvest data you know and and, and i can tell you like nine percent of our total turkey harvest is from non-residents on average um, yeah i thought that about, was really low like i was kind of shocked by that figure yeah yeah but but you know we're not necessarily a destination state like some places but it's interesting i mean we'll have you know successful hunters from 30 or 40 states every year that come here but but what's unique is when you look at that in that nine percent about almost half of it is from north carolina Mm -hmm. and and so you say what's what's what is about north carolina well i mean one there's a huge population center around charlotte which is right on the state line but two their season opens two or three weeks later than ours so it's it's an opportunity for north carolina hunters to get a two or three week jump on turkey hunting by just coming across the line so 
you know, that, and that really resonates with, with residents, you know, they see that and they're like, we need to change that. You know, we don't need to, we need to get in line with North Carolina. So they're not coming down here and killing our turkeys. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think you see that everywhere. Yeah. The, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Alabama, Mississippi. I mean, it's, and, and as you mentioned, you know, turkey hunters now, a lot of gotten very mobile and like to travel and, 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 and I'm one of those, I mean, I like to go to other States and hunt. And so, you know, I think there's two, there's two schools of thought there. There's the people who are always looking for the earliest place and kind of chasing the season from South to North. And then there's the people who like to hunt their home state. And then when it closes, they like to go West or North and, and extend yeah. their season. Um, or but, both. Or both. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or both. Um, but, but yeah, I think, do think that that, comes into the calculus there of you know what can we do to limit the, the people coming here early in particular you know i think that yeah you know obviously you're going to have a later progression as you go north i mean because you know breeding gets later as you move north because of photo period and latitude and so you're never going to have or we shouldn't have a, a you know a uniform season across the country but across latitude you know across you know latitudes it should be pretty similar but then you know you go you know the season shouldn't start the same time in south carolina as it does in western or pennsylvania or you know but Mm. it it should start the same in south carolina as it does in georgia and north carolina and alabama and tennessee and mississippi and louisiana you know there's there's not enough difference in breeding chronology across you know as you move east to west um but there is differences as you move you know, from south to north. So I think you'll see probably over time, yeah, some coming together of particularly start date, um, you know, bag limits, total season lengths, I don't know, things like that. You know, it's it's hard enough to get agreement within a state, um, but, but you're already, I think, seeing some bag limits that are coalescing, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. the average bag limit in the southeast is two. Um, you know, the, the outliers are getting fewer and fewer. Um, which so. I don't think, like you said, people, I don't think people are traveling to States because of the high bag limit. No, like, no, I mean, most people travel, I bet the average trip is three, three days, probably yeah. three to four days. Yeah. And I mean, you're not looking at killing, you know, five turkeys, you know, if you no. kill two, you're ecstatic. You kill one, you're happy as can be. And. Not me. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, what'd a, you say? Uh, not me. I've got a limit out in every state I go to. It's not <laughs> yeah. a good trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's it, yeah. I think it, it it's just. I mean, people like to hunt different places, and but I do think the concern is that when when you're in somewhat nearby states and your your start dates are really not lining up. Yeah. That that would that, make a bigger difference. That that naturally is gonna you know, cause a lot of people to, to hop across. Cause I mean, you know, turkey hunters are anxious to go. They want to get out there and get after it. And, Guaranteed. So, you know, if somebody, if you can get a, a week or two head start by moving over a state or two, people are going to, going to do it. Um, yeah. but, but yeah. yeah, that, that, that's been a discussion, um, amongst, you know, when we, when we gather in the Southeast, you know, it, it definitely comes up, but, but I don't think there's like a concerted effort of, Hey, this state, you know, I, I think it's like I said. I think the science is leading that, but the you know the the non-resident impact definitely kind of helps with with getting support. In in the 
possible legislative regulatory solutions to address the issue of declining populations. The last one there is others with two question marks, and I mentioned that a little bit earlier. What are some of the other suggestions that that you've heard that might in the least little bit make sense? Um, really not much. You know, we put that out there because we were looking for other suggestions because, you know, but, but really most people gravitate toward the ones that are listed. I mean, there's been a few things that have come up, but, you know, it's more like, you know, predator incentives or bounties or things yeah. that, that just, you know, have not historically worked well and, and don't seem to be, you know, that are, you know, bounties is a whole nother issue because it, you know, there's ample opportunity for fraud and, and, mm-hmm. and they've never really historically worked. And they're just incredibly expensive because first you have to pay for things that are already being killed or trapped for free uh, before you even move the needle. But, you know, that's come up. Um, I mean, there's been a few other little kind of oddball things, but no, really, we put that out there because we wanted to get input and we'll see, you know, with, with this online survey that's working now, you know, there's a, a opportunity to, you know, people to fill in if you have other ideas or suggestions, but we really think the things that are listed, I mean, those didn't just, you know, come out of the blue that that's things that we have heard for, you know, several years of talking to hunters and, and talking to other States and, and thinking about this and, and there doesn't really seem to be, anything else that that resonates you know we did add that the one about increasing fees and doing some kind of habitat incentive program got added after a couple of the public meetings because we heard enough of that so that Mm. was that would have been another earlier on in this process yeah um and, and i think you know and then you know not legislatively but just other things we can do i think i mentioned earlier is you know more outreach more education more messaging more you know, workshops, seminars uh, on on either habitat management or predator uh, control or both. Um, so, but really, when you start talking about legislation or regulation, there's only so many options. Um, and you know, I mean, one thing that did come up, which a couple times, which was kind of bizarre to me, but it would be effective but highly unpopular, was kind of the the polar opposite of limiting afternoon hunting and some people suggested you know not letting people start hunting until nine or ten o'clock in the morning and i thought hmm. well you know yeah that would be highly effective but but most unpopular <laughs> yeah. um but uh so yeah i mean they, there's there hadn't been a whole lot of other input but we'll see you know once this online survey runs its course if, if maybe something unique that nobody's thought about pops up um, i, I want to throw one in the ring and i think that it would be very effective if maybe, you know, somebody at the university could teach a crappie or a bass how to gobble and strut. <laughs> yeah. I think that'd get a lot of hunters, turkey hunters out of the woods. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, no, that's, that's, that's a good one. But, you know, yeah, I think, yeah, let's, let's make fishing more attractive. Yeah. You know, and, and that's kind of funny. You know, we heard a few years ago when, when this subject came up and, and we were talking about shifting seasons later, you know, some of the complaints about shifting it later was, like, well, you know, it's time to go fishing by the middle of April or something. That's so, the point. <laughs> yeah. 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 But no, I mean, yeah, we'll see what, what comes out of it. I do think one of the more interesting things though, is the, this idea of some type of habitat incentive program for, for private yeah. lands. That's pretty um, interesting. 
that's got a lot of potential. I mean, that's obviously a heavy lift and, and, you know, that would be a major undertaking, but I think it, it's, it's worthwhile and, and definitely something we need to explore because, you know, I, I'll be the first to admit habitat is a big part of this and, and making substantial large scale habitat changes is going to be, that's going to be a difficult task, but that's, it's doable. And, but as much as you, you know, you hate it, it's probably going to need some type of monetary incentive to happen yeah. on a, a big scale. I mean, because I think people who want to do it are, you know, are already doing it. So you have to somehow, you know, get people over the hump that otherwise are not, or 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 choosing to manage their property because of for, for financial gains. But and another thing we've talked about, and I don't think I think this is pretty universal across much of the southeast, is we need more fire on the landscape. Yeah. And you know what could we do to increase prescribed burning and and there's been talks about the prescribed fire teams or co-ops or fire, prescribed fire equipment trailers that landowners could you know rent or borrow or you know so i think there's some things that we can work with our state forestry agency and, and some other folks and try to get more acres burned because yeah that's that that would help habitat tremendously and that's really lacking in South Carolina, I think it is across the Southeast, you know, how much fire is out there. One, and th- okay, question on that. And I'm a huge proponent of fire. Like we, we burn our farms. And I'm all in on it. But one thing I thought of the other day that maybe you'll know the answer to, when turkey populations were at their peak, were there more people burning? Yes, at least here. Okay, um, I didn't know yeah. that. So, I, you know, I, I wasn't, I was unsure of how often you know, people burned then versus now. So has that been a, has the, I guess, amount of acreage being burned declined with the turkey population? Yeah, not at the same rate, probably, but it, it has definitely declined with it. And Again, I'm a huge proponent of burning, do it yeah, myself. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. not sliding it. I just, that thought popped in my mind the other day, like, did people really burn that much back then? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it was it was more, and I'd have to go and kind of look and see how much more. But but I know we we've, we've kind of looked at it, and, and and acreage has definitely been on a kind of a long term slow decline here in South Carolina. You know, for private lands and you know it, where that a lot of that decrease showed up was was on industrial forest. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the the timber companies and paper companies used to burn their properties a lot, and then two things have happened. One, a lot of those companies have divested land holdings and you know they just instead of owning land and growing timber they just buy timber now so you know a lot of those companies don't even have the property and then what they do have they have gone away from burning and just manage with herbicides Herbicides. or mechanical yeah so Mm -hmm. so there's you know we figure there's i think about three percent of south carolina that sees fire every year Wow. Um, you know, I mean, it's so, you know, if we can get more, more fire on the landscape, that would, that would help a lot. Cause I, as, as I ride around and, you know, I talk to hunters and land, you know, it, it's not hard to ride around and look at the landscape and say, God, turkey couldn't live there. Turkey couldn't live here. And, and usually it's because the woods have gotten too thick. Yeah. And so, you know, more thinning and more burning would be good. I think a lot but of landowners are just scared to burn, you know, like, the liability or something of it just just worries them. So I think any kind of incentive to do that. Well, and there's no 
I mean, for the there are exceptions, but they don't see the benefit to their timber. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's what so many of them care about. You know, if, if even if you have an individual landowner who owns a, a large ish track of 500 to 1000 acres, that person, if they don't hunt, have the hunting rights leased most of the time mm-hmm. and they're growing timber. And until we can prove to them that fire will benefit their timber, then there's no reason for them to burn. Right. Yeah. The incentive's just not there. And, yeah. and, and you, you hit on something great there. You know, there's a lot of absentee landowners or just investment landowners that, mm-hmm. that own, you know, because a lot of these big timber companies and paper companies divested themselves of, of their land holdings, you know, in the last 20 years. You know, and those properties, you know, huge tracts of industrial forest land were split up and 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 now they're owned by private landowners, mostly for for uh, investment purposes. And they're leasing their hunting rights. So, yeah, they're kind of disconnected. You know, the hunters see what needs to happen there, but they don't have the ability to to manage the property because it's not theirs. You know, I mean, hunters can, you know, plant some food plots or, or something like that. But, you know, hunters can't control, you know timber thinning or or prescribed burning and so there's kind of a disconnect there and yeah somehow we have to reach the i think we've we've done pretty well reaching the hunters but we've got to reach the the landowners (laughs) yeah and Mm -hmm. um and so that's kind of the next step and the big puzzle in the equation is is doing that and then the other kind of elephant in the room that comes up too is just pure popular human population growth and development and you know like in south carolina in the last 25 years our population's gone from 3.8 million to 5.3 million people i mean there's just you know places that used to be good turkey habitat or houses or industrial mm-hmm. lands and so you know just the loss of habitat and the fragmentation you know where turkeys are kind of boxed in in an area and are then they become more susceptible to to harvest or or predation, predation or something yeah. because they're they don't have that immigration you know they don't have an influx of birds that can come in and out they just kind of get isolated so you know and and i don't know what to do about that but so i think we just have to kind of worry about where we do have habitat let's get it as good as possible because it's it's inevitable we're going to continue to lose habitat and have more fragmentation but so i think we have to just get the habitat that we do have in as good as condition as possible. Yeah. So it, it's a challenge, but you know, everybody likes a, a goal and a mission and you know, that that's kind of where I'm at. And I think, you know, a lot of folks in our agency and a lot of other biologists around the Southeast, you know, we want to, we want this to be a success story. We don't want to be, be part of the demise, you know, we right. want to see what we can do to, to turn the ship and get things pointed in the right, in the right direction. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of effort and a, and a lot of sweat that went into, turkey restoration and and we don't want that to be wasted you know i think and and we're and i think we're still at a, a point with populations to where we can turn things around and get things pointed in the right direction so that's kind of what all this is about and i think we've gotten good buy-in from from the public that that hey let's let's work together and and right the ship and get get this thing pointed in the right direction because you know, nobody wants to see these trend lines keep going down, you know, yeah. um, and, and it, it's pretty eye opening, I think, to show people that data. And that's been interesting to me. I mean, obviously, like every other state 
you know, we put out reports every year. We put out harvest reports, brood survey reports, but it, it's become obvious that a lot of people don't look at that. And it took us getting to this point to where there was a noticeable problem and then kind of putting all this stuff together into into one product and putting it out there where people have really, you know, latched onto it. So, so I'm optimistic, you know, I think we can make some positive changes and get things going in a better direction. Well, I'm certainly glad to hear that. So uh, well, this has been, this has been good. I've, I've really enjoyed this. It's been a, a very informative talk and well, good. I've learned, I've learned a lot. That's, uh, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing the info with us and, you know, the the bad thing for me about having a biologist on the phone with us is I, I can keep asking you questions all <laughs> night long. I mean, we could be here till three o'clock in the morning. And, yeah. and, you know, most of the biologists that we get on the show are just like us. They love talking the topic or they wouldn't be doing it for a living. And so, you know, we're we're a, a bad, uh, I would say pair, but threesome. Since Cameron's yeah. on the phone with us, uh, that's probably a, a, you know, as far as trying to keep things timely. But, man, Jay, this has been really good. I've enjoyed it a whole lot and appreciate you giving your time and sharing your information. And when the online study or the online survey is completed, are you guys going to post those findings? The we results? are. Um, okay. Yeah, we're going to what we're our plan is, is to when, when that wraps up at the end of August. We'll compile and summarize all that, and then we'll also take you know the, the comments that we've gotten and you know kind of the other things as we mentioned other earlier, and somehow try to summarize and categorize those. And then the hope is, in addition to you know just charts and graphs and, and a summary of the the survey answers, to kind of take a lot of the common questions or comments and prepare either like a an FAQ page or some you know fact sheets on some of these topics because you know burning during the nesting season comes up a lot and we've got some some stats and facts on that you know predator control comes up and we've got some things there so so we'll yeah our hope is and our plan is to to have not only the the summary of the survey results published uh, but some some FAQs or, or fact sheets as well, um, because I think that's important, you know, to try to address, you know, not only put out what we found in the surveys, but try to address some of the common concerns or questions or, or comments that we got. So it, it should be a, a, a very comprehensive and informative report. That'll take a little while to, to put together, but I would think we'll have something, you know, out on our website and we'll promote it through social media and, and mass emails, probably by, I would think, sometime in October, okay. um, you know, it'll, it'll probably take a, a, a month or, or so to kind of get it all with everything else going on that we do to get it all kind of digested and summarized and put out there. But, but yeah, I would expect sometime in October, we'll have all the, the results out there. I would imagine you, if you had your preferences, would prefer that all South Carolina residents who hunt take the survey, but probably as far as non-residents, you would want just those who are hunting in South Carolina pretty regularly. Correct. Correct. You know, I mean, we, and I'll be honest, you know, we have geared this toward residents. Okay. I mean, it, it, there's nothing wrong with, with non-residents participating, 
but we have geared it toward residents really because I mean, this is it's their birds and, yeah. and, and that's who the general assembly, our legislators are going to want to hear from the most. Yeah. I mean, nothing against non-residents in particular, you know, there's yeah. some non-residents that own property or, or lease property here and, mm-hmm. and, th- and they have a real engagement, but, but as far as how we have, you know, tried to kind of focus the survey and, and promote it, it's, it's heavy for, for residents. And, and that's not, you know, like I said, that's not a slight to non-residents, but I think it's just more important to get the input from, from resident Turkey. Yeah, I agree. But, but, you know, we think that, you know, and obviously this is, has resonated outside of the state. I mean, we've gotten input from, from, you know, and, and interest from around the Southeast. And, and what I think may come of this is other states may follow suit and do similar things is because as I mentioned, when we first started, this has been surprisingly successful. It's been a positive experience, you know, and you never really know when you jump into something like this, what you're going to get. But, but I would encourage, you know, other states to do this and get this kind of input, you know, because it, it really, you know, works well. I mean, obviously all, all biologists have, you know, harvest data and reproductive data, but to get that, you know, to quantify public sentiment and public opinion and, you know, is critical in, in managing a, a resource for the public at a statewide level. So yeah, we're excited about it, but yeah, we'll, we'll have some information out there. People can see something this fall and we'll see what happens. You know, we'll, our legislature comes back in session in January. We aren't sure, but we anticipate there'll, there'll be some action that they'll want to take on and we'll see where it goes. But, but it's, it's, it's valuable to get that input. So definitely anybody that, you know, hunts in South Carolina, we, we want them to, not just take the survey, but but watch the the video presentation yes. first because I think that's yes. that's critical, you know, to to see that that data and and to understand where you know why we're asking some of the questions that we're asked. Uh, but yeah, they'll learn something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. Yeah, if, if I'm a turkey hunter in South Carolina, I'm I'm pretty proud of my agency at this point because I, I commend y'all on ability and want to get the public's input before making recommendations. I think that's awesome. And then quantifying it and presenting that data like y'all did through that YouTube video is just, to me, I think it's, it's awesome. I, I hope more states will follow suit with, with fact-based, you know, studies and hearing from their people. Yeah, I hope so too. And like I said, we appreciate that, those kind words and it, it, it's nice to hear um, as, as a lot of state agency folks get, get beat on quite a bit and so uh you know positive feedback is always always welcome and, and we appreciate that and we and like i said we've gotten a lot of that since we started these meetings as we rolled this out so that's been very encouraging and i appreciate hearing that from y'all absolutely, absolutely. Well, well hopefully we can trick you into coming on the show again i've enjoyed yeah, this a whole man. lot hopefully no, to absolutely. talk about the the rise of south carolina's turkey yes. population <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, I hope so. But now nah, I'd be, be glad to come back anytime and talk to y'all. It's been a pleasure. And when you get the nod from the feds to let, you know, four or five people into <laughs> the SRS, <laughs> just don't forget me, y'all Cameron. That's list. all I ask. The, the three of us are on the list, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We'll, we'll also, see how that goes. You, you may not have ever heard his voice, but to me, you sound a lot like Lovett Williams. Just letting you know. Oh yeah, well, you that's, do. That's, a, that's a huge compliment. You so, sound just like that dude to me. 
Uh, and I listen to his turkey call videos all the time. So, well, I appreciate that. No, he's a, I, I, I've, I've got his books and, uh, I, you know, I think anybody who's a turkey biologist admires love it. So that's, that's, that's a high compliment, but I appreciate that. I never heard that one. I, I've heard a few things, but never, never I sound like love it, but I'll, I'll, I'll take that and appreciate it. <laughs> but, Jay, uh, man, thank you so much. It's been a lot yeah, of fun. Good deal. All right. All right. We'll talk mm-hmm. soon. Yes, sir, right. and, and good luck to you over the deer season. Appreciate it. y'all too. All right, see you. Goodbye. Right. That was a good talk, man. I just like I said there at the end. I mean, I really respect the way they're going about this. Yeah. Like, how can you not? You know, it. I get it. I have my own opinions, and I I probably think I'm right about everything. You know, just like everybody. But hey, if the majority of people are okay with this compared to that, then it's hard to argue with that. Absolutely. So it it's it's a it's a game that is for the masses you know not just ourselves and they're going and and seeing what public opinion has to say and like he said when they started this they probably thought they were just going to go do these meetings and get yelled at the whole time (laughs) (laughs) i mean and i get it like that's how people are so yeah no doubt it's cool to hear though i think i think it's a a really cool process that South Carolina is going through. And I, I really and truly hope that it turns out with more turkeys for South Carolina in the end. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that's Jay's intent. And I think that's the South Carolina DNR's intent is they, they want more turkeys. So if you can't get and, behind that mission, then sorry. <laughs> you know, that would be a win for everyone because it, Jay mentioned it. You asked the question, Jay mentioned this in his answer. States are sharing info. Why would they not? Yeah. You know, so if it works in South Carolina, if the changes that they made in Arkansas are working and it at least on the uh, early onset looks like they are working, then why would these other states around the country that are experiencing declines not want to take these same steps? So, yeah, we can all win from this from whatever changes really every state makes and hopefully the nothing but positive effects from those changes so time will tell yes absolutely i'm gonna let you do the favor of the week this week man (laughs) all right favor of the week is this twofold look up the tft chapters around you and get involved if there's not one around you and you want to form one well reach out to some folks and try to make that happen those who are deeply involved with tft are not hard to find so you can find them online you could probably even reach out to my co-host of this show and he could point you in the right direction if you wanted to start a chapter or get more information on one and hey if tft is not for you i know there's got to be an nwtf chapter around you get involved in that absolutely get involved or start a nta chapter around you national trappers association get involved in things that are going to benefit the wild turkey if we sit back and we do nothing but complain about it when the turkeys are gone we're going to be pointing a lot of fingers back at ourselves that's it so and it's a solid point if your your facebook argument over whether it's so and so versus so and so isn't going to change much so get out there and and do something so I'm hoping this next decade is the most profitable decade in history for the wild turkey between Turkeys for Tomorrow, NWTF, and others. 
I hope it's the most profitable decade in history for the wild turkey. And we need to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Because I want to hear more turkeys gobble. I don't care how many I hear. I just want to hear twice as many. (laughs) Can I get a hallelujah? (laughs) And when I hear that twice as many, I want to hear more. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Very good. What do you think? Good stuff, man. I'd say wrap it up. This was a long one. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again in two weeks. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.